You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights which help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up to date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. I'm your host, Asher Matthew. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic intent and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. Once again, I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited today to talk to Jerry Murray about managing customer data relationships. So, Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Asher. Very happy to be here. Terrific. So, Jerry, a lot of people know you, but for some of those people that don't know you, please tell us who you are, how you got to, to IDC, and, uh, and then let's start into the conversation from there. Sure. So uh, I'm the research director of our marketing and sales advisory practice at IDC. I've been here for just about 10 years doing this. I started, um, this is actually my second stint at IDC. Uh, Originally was hired into our CMO advisory practice. So worked uh, with a lot of global enterprise uh, uh, CMOs working on global marketing teams and the complexities of adopting all the technology from, you know, 10 years ago and making the big digital transformation of marketing on a global scale and understanding all the not only technical but organizational and skills and just general um, you know operational implications of this transformation uh, prior to that I've spent about uh, 10 years in marketing, marketing operations, marketing communications at a number of small companies. And prior to that, I was actually at IDC for a number of years in the 90s during the whole internet revolution and did a lot of work in terms of um, the IDC's um, uh, practice on developing the ROI on technology and economic value propositions. So I've uh, been in and around the industry for a while. And um, you know, these days, very uh, deep in on the the endlessly fascinating world of, of marketing technology and the, the innovations going on day to day. Terrific. Terrific. I mean, I'm sure the folks at IDC welcomed you back and said, well, bring all this experience back to us and help us figure the next, the next stuff out. You know? So I know of quite a few people that have done that in their, in their roles, and it's always worked out great. All right. So in our pre-interview, you talked a little bit about personalization, and I know you're super duper passionate about it. So let's kick the conversation about, uh, off with defining personalization because I'm so conscious of words and what they mean, at least especially in these day, day and age, especially when you were talking with marketing and sales and all the other pieces of revenue, that defining things is always a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And just kind of get, you know, all of us on the same page. You know, I think conventionally personalization kind of grew out of this idea of, well, let's, you know, add, you know, person's first name to our direct mail piece, you know, many years ago and just started adding little bits and pieces of content that sort of, uh, you know, made it appear as if we were written a particular uh, communication specifically for an individual. And then, you know, it's, it's evolved as we've get more and more data about people we're able to you know add a little bit more nuance to what we're doing and in the, now with the you know, really the big tipping point i think in this personalization practice has been the advent of the mobile phone the smartphone and the ability to gather massively high uh, scale information about people and the scope, the intimacy of the data that we can capture about people, particularly in terms of where they go and when they go uh, to all the various different points of their life. And so that um, has done two things. I think it's it's 
created a extraordinary amount of um, information for marketers, brands, or everybody to know a lot about each other and to potentially use that for the greater good and um, you know to add value to both sides of the relationship. Um, but I think it's also we've also kind of hit a tipping point, you know, at the other end of the scale where consumers are starting to be much more concerned um, and sensitive to the idea of all this kind of surreptitious uh, surveillance um, collection of their data, and then have it, you know, regurgitated to them in you know a commercial um, context. And so, uh, you know, for for. For the modern marketer, where in terms of where we stand today, and we've got these new, you know, privacy regulations and legislations coming out of Europe and California and other places around the world, you know, one of my, you know, one of my pieces of advice to marketers is: look, don't just think about the legislation. Think about the global awakening that's behind the legislation, and you know, think about the fact that complying with the legislation is a undifferentiated state for you and every other brand. Everybody's got to do it. So it's it's the same for everyone. So if you think about how can you go above and beyond that, you know, how can you go above and beyond just complying with the regulations and expectations of people in that respect? And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that and we'll dig into it in a minute. So today I think marketers have to be much more sensitive about the fact that personalization is an input output process. And we can't just put all of our uh, focus and attention and practice on the output part of the equation. We have to do start to manage the input. We have to start to manage the, customer, the data relationship with our customers. So hopefully that answered your question in a few different ways. I maybe maybe to sum it up, I, my, the thing I always tell my my marketers is: look, you have to personalize your personalization. It does not mean the same thing to every single one of your customers. So you have to be very careful about this concept that hey, just because I'm making my email a little bit more relevant to you based on collecting all this information about you, that's a uh, possibly making things more relatable from the point of view of your recipient who's receiving your information, but really it's making it more valuable to the marketer because it's making people a little bit more likely to click on stuff, a little bit more likely to engage on things. Um, and the idea is, you know, have you really added value to your customer? Have you just only used this information to, um, you know, drive your own commercial KPIs, or are you starting to think about okay, how do I you know kind of expand the scope of my brand relationship with this person, you know, above and beyond selling them stuff? And that's a that to me is the great green field of personalization for marketers. I I agree, and you know, coming from my own experience, and this is funny because my parents and I were talking about this, and they were like, hey, you know, we would be talking about somebody on the phone. And next thing you know, they are a friend request suggestion on Facebook. Like, how does this happen? <laughs> it's so, not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. Know, you, get in, you get in your car and your your phone tells you it's 17 minutes to pick up your daughter at ballet. It's like, what? You yeah. Know, okay. That would be super cool if I had actually been involved in and participated in making all the data connections, saying, okay, yeah. Track my, you know, track my phone and, and, you know, through my daily routine, where do I shop? Where do I go to or don't go to religious practices or medical offices or where do I, you know, how, how do I manage my kids' lives? And, yeah, show me. 
what the what the um, timeline is in terms of getting things getting around and optimize. Tell me there's traffic here and not there, and so give me an alternate route. That's all wonderful, good value. But if you just do it without asking me along the way, then it sounds like intrusion. It sounds like a privacy invasion, and it's you know. I think marketers have missed the concept that there are a lot of consent moments that are missing from that the input side of the relationship. And that's where the differentiation comes in mind. Because then you feel like as a as a consumer, hey, I said track me for all these things and tell me and optimize my ability to pick up my daughter at ballet or my son at soccer or vice versa, whatever it is going on in your family. And that's okay. But to do it because I texted somebody, uh, somebody texted me a note or we were talking about, uh, you know, going on a boat trip to more dam and you know, wherever. And now all of a sudden I'm seeing ads for that out of my messaging. Like, how did that happen? That's starting to make people feel extremely uncomfortable. And I personally, I think it puts your brand in a bad light and you shouldn't be doing it. So, so this is interesting because I think a marketer today that has been trained for years and years and years on magic moments is in a conundrum, right? Because this concept of consent moments that you're talking about is something that they have to pause and think about, right? It's not like first nature to them is like magic moment. How do I create this most amazing feeling that they're on a high? How do I create this brand emotional like connection, right? Like all of these things that they've they've been they've been taught to, but this consent moment things. Is an inter- inter- interesting one. And so do you have a framework or guidance on how to just think about consent moments in general? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. First of all, there's been, a, I think, a fairly standard practice now in marketing about this concept of the customer journey. Let's map the customer journey or at least bits and pieces of it, right? So almost everybody's got some form of customer journey mapping, whether it's just a cart abandonment, abandonment journey or it's something else a little more comprehensive. You know, we've got it that in place. What's missing, however, is that we are not really mapping out the customer's data journey inside our organization. Where does all the data get stuck? Where does certain attributes get stuck? Where does now the customer has jumped or hot moved around from different channels in marketing, or they've moved outside of marketing and they're now talking to billing and talking to support or talking to somebody else, and the data is stuck in you know, these other systems or other channels, and it's not moving with the customer. So, first thing is you know think about the data journey that's going on inside your organization, right? The second thing is, you know, think about the data relationship. Like, how can you start to measure that? As, uh, you know, we have this concept of the uh, net promoter score as a way to sort of manage whether the customer had a fairly good or uh, not so good positive or negative emotional sentiment experience with our brand. And would they recommend other people do business with us? Well, you know, there's, probably a lot of really interesting places in the course of your interactions with your customers because they're making all kinds of different data information disclosures to you you know from an click on an ad to a click on an email to a click on a website to a call you know with the billing department to a call with a service department there's deepening um, and broader and more intimate um, information disclosures and so you might start thinking about well how do we know, you know whether the customer, how comfortable a customer is with sharing that data and how comfortable they are with 
and how knowledgeable they are about how we are going to use that data to serve them better. And so uh, one of the pieces of research I did recently was on the concept of a data promoter score, which is just a little twist on NPS. And it's this idea of weaving into that customer journey some places, hey, you know, would you be likely, how likely would you be to recommend other people share their personal data with us based on our data practices or data policies? And, you know, you have to be a little careful about how you implement that because different data disclosures have different levels of sensitivity and and, um, are going to get different kinds of reactions from people. But without a measure, without anything, we have currently nothing to measure any of this stuff with. Um, But if you're able to start weaving that into your customer journeys and sampling how different kinds of customers feel about the data data requests that you're making of them or the collection that you're, you're doing, potentially even without their knowledge, that should give you a really good idea of how how well your brand is managing the data relationship, and it start to give you some interesting insights into um, providing a much more um, kind of emotionally you know, confident and trustworthy interactions with your customers across the board. So that's a those are I think a couple of things that uh, brands and marketers should really start thinking about with respect to this input process. How are we collecting this stuff? How much transparency does the customer have about what we are collecting and what our policies are in terms of how long are we keeping this? What are the conditions under which we will use it or potentially share or sell it with other third parties? And I think there's a lot of opportunities and you know brands that that will find it very beneficial to the customer relationship to start ex- be much more explanatory and transparent to the customer with why you're collecting data and what you're going to do for them as a result. I, I am totally in sync with you, but I also, again, feel for the marketer whose measurement is not on these things, right? So fundamentally, I think, that the bosses and the bosses and the bosses of those marketers also need to think about data stewardship, which you hinted a little bit on in our pre-interview. Uh, but but then then I, I feel like this is a much bigger issue than just the marketer who is trying to just get to a number or trying to get to a, an output, right? Yeah, I agree 100%. So there is currently no metric. That's why I kind of propose this data promoter score as a concept of a metric. So now you can start to measure a little bit, not just marketing, but you know all the various data disclosures and interactions that we're having with customers. And the data stewardship thing is a very important one. So that's another big concept. It's almost a, it's a cultural and a operational challenge for a lot of marketers and brands in general who have been sort of swimming in this ocean of customer data and kind of approaching it as a commercial entitlement Um, but now sort of being being asked to be far more respectful and acknowledge that you know every time you personalize something for somebody you are revealing to them this whole set of data the data chain that you data supply chain that you've used to make that personalization like okay well why did you send me something with you know you know, a, a couple sitting on the beach in the, in, you know, in front of a sunset instead of, you know, the family of four with the dog, you know, going on a hike. Well, <laughs> how do I, or why did you send me a note about buying bicycles or going on vacation? <laughs> you know, and and as you mentioned earlier, well, oh yeah, I remember talking or texting or searching or something, but why is that? How did that connect get connected to this particular brand interaction? And so. Getting back to the data stewardship questions now, okay, well, um, 
we need to change the marketing mindset from data ownership. So it's my data, even though it's your data, it's also my data and I can do anything I want with it to data stewardship. So it's like, okay, now there's a caretaking part of the relationship that I am going to commit to as a brand, as a person who has access to all this data about you. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to take care of that with respect to my own better decision-making, but I'm going to try to utilize as much of that information as I can, not just to sell you stuff, but also potentially help you benefit from the kind of collective experience and wisdom of other customers like you. Because Every marketer, every brand is you know, at the center of their customer universe, the center of their partner universe, even at the center of their sales, you know, the sales teams, you know, could be thought of as a as an audience as well. And that's a unique position in the world. And you could you know take all that that massive data set, those industrial strength analytics, and really leverage that position to help each customer along, you know, their journey to mastery in a particular area. And the second thing is an interesting idea about practicing expansive curation so that you can say, well, customers who are interested in these three or four topics that you are or products that you've bought or things that you've asked questions about also tend to be interested in a bunch of other areas that are not like super, you know, related that they're tangential, but it's like you kind of expand the customer's world a little bit. I think a lot of recommendation engines these days, um, especially in a lot of the media services, tend to be very convergent. (laughs) The more you watch stuff, the more of that sort of thing you're going to be recommended to watch. Whereas you're kind of like, okay, I just watched three weeks of this and I kind of like what's something different. Um, And so this concept of expanding, um, you know, expansive curation to just kind of open up the value that your brand has to offer. But the data stewardship thing is is both of marketing and it's a it, it's a there's ways of articulating that to customers, but there's a lot of internal work that has to go along with that as well, and that's got to do with uh, you know, interacting with your uh, data privacy offices, your uh, data governance team, your data digital strategy team, and as well as the whole kind of customer experience team. And it's been interesting talking to folks on that side of the house who are you know, coming out of compliance offices, legal offices, et cetera, you know, they are very already very aware of the fact that the value of their work gets high, uh, to the enterprise it increases the closer their data gets to the customer, the closer they can take that, you know, protected, um, validated, governed data set and provide it to use cases, customer-facing use cases across marketing and other other areas. So I, I'm kind of hoping there's be a little bit of a sea change in this you know, sort of epic conflict between marketing and compliance-related functions in the enterprise where they kind of come together and say, you know what, that's a really big value to have a safe data set for the marketer to operate in. And then there's a really big value to be able to express some of our policy um, values out to the customer and with respect to like, how do we explain why and what we're doing, why we're we collecting and what we're doing with the data. How are we measuring the way customers are feeling about how we're, how well we're doing with respect to asking them for different aspect, attributes of their um, behavior and you know their lives. So 
I think there's a the, a big uh, challenge uh, around the, the data stewardship data stewardship issue, but there I think are many resources within most large enterprises that should be able to be leveraged as opposed to you know they should be kind of collectively additive <laughs> as opposed to uh, locked in this uh, sort of eternal uh, conflict of interest with between compliance and marketing. Yeah, and and to that you know. Between the pre-interview for this podcast and me speaking with a bunch of other customers, right? Like I'm thinking that people don't necessarily view data as a capability. They hmm. just view it as something that I just need to get my stuff done with. And more and more and more, I've been trying to advocate myself for this notion of a data stack so people understand the different types of data that even exists. And, and whether it's internal data or external data, whichever way you're capturing and the journey of it, like we, we all do these amazing like sales and marketing tech stack diagrams, right? But why doesn't one exist for the data stack? And, mm. and so it almost seems like, like there's a need for that type of, I would say, training, right? And, uh, and then with the layer of stewardship on top of it, uh, and then compliance to like kind of wrap it all around, you get you kind of get to that future state of personalization where the data is handled with care, whether it's customer or not. It's just handled with care. So the, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll respond to that by way of analogy here. Um, it's something that I've used for with um, a lot of the data, you know, see customer data platform vendors and other you know data infrastructure providers for marketers. Um, and so there's there's been this uh, you know kind of meme out there about data as the new oil. And you know, I, I hate that meme. I think it's completely inappropriate, and it leads to all the things we've just been talking about. <laughs> in the sense that it's just a natural resource that we're going to use for commercial entitlement, and you know, there, there's a, a total lack of stewardship involved in that. I tend, to, I like to think about data as kind of a global food supply chain. And so when I talk to folks who are building these big data infrastructures um, or considering deploying a CDP or some other, you know, data lake two dot, you know, X dot or whatever their <laughs> version of that they're on, I tell them this analogy. And it's basically that it goes like this. Imagine that you are building a new grocery store for your community. And you're going to hire a bunch of engineers and architects to dig you a hole and build you a beautiful facility, this big building that's going to house all this stuff. And then you're going to come in and you're going to hire a bunch of merchandisers and product managers and marketers to curate, you know, all the inventory and bring in this really great, you know, you know produce, all this beautiful, shiny, wonderful produce and all these crazy, wonderful, exotic, uh, you know, high quality um, products uh, that you're going to stock the shelves of your grocery store with. And things beautiful, everything's wonderful. The things brand spanking new. It looks great. The parking lot's awesome. You walk in the door, and it's just fantastic. So, you throw open the doors, and the community walks in, and everybody is impressed. The thing is amazing. Like, can't believe how much stuff is in here, and it's all beautiful. But at the end of the day, when they check out, they've got the same seventeen things in their basket that they've had for five years. What happened? Well, you basically created a gigantic innovation debt. <laughs> no innovation happened because everybody just went in and bought the same old things that have always been on their lists forever. And you know, if you think about walking down the aisle of a grocery store, you know how much time it would take you to stop and look and read the ingredients of every single box and can and jar and stuff on every single shelf and realize, oh my God, you know, 
somebody's buying this stuff and going home and making something potentially, well, presumably cool for their family to consume, but I don't know what it is. I have no idea how to use this stuff. It's not on my list. It's not, I don't know how to cook with that. And so kind of getting back to your point is this concept of, you know, you have to think about the community of decision makers that are out there in your in the community that you're going to serve and start to teach them a little bit about how they might start to use some of these new data ingredients, you know, without having to go into the store and read all the the labels, show them, Hey, you know what? If you're an email marketer um, and you're doing, building an acquisition list for a new campaign, would it possibly be interesting to have a dimension like late payment status or credit score? that you might get out of your accounting department or your accounts receivable clerk. You know, oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, so who is that person? <laughs> Those people may be some multiple degrees of separation in a large enterprise. They may not know each other or recognize each other if they walk past each other. And they may not know how to, I mean, there's no reason for an email marketer and an accounts receivable person to sit down and have like an operational conversation with each other. But you start to uh, show them, hey, if I walk into the accounts receivable person and ask them for the credit scores or the late payment status. And then I go run my campaign and I come back to them and say, Hey, you know, we're, we're reducing the number of customers with late payment statuses, you know, that are coming in as customers, then both parties benefit, right? So the, you know, the AR person's KPIs go up, the marketing person's KPIs go up and you can, you can literally do that exercise, that little brainstorming exercise with different teams in marketing talking to each other. How does your, ad team, talk to your social team, your events team, to the extent you still have one, <laughs> talk to your web team, you know, how do your analytics team, talk to your operations team, and, and who, what kind of data are they gathering, and how can they start to, you know, use the ingredients and attributes that each other have to cook up, you know, brand new decisions, or add a little flavor, a little um, extra twist on something they're already doing and what are some of the opportunities to do completely brand new things that you haven't done before because now you suddenly have you understand that there are all kinds of interesting attributes around the enterprise in terms of you know late payment credit scores how much uh, call support does a person consume you know what how likely are they to abandon cart return items etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, there's all kinds of really good um like precedents you can show people and they they function a lot like those little sample stations at the ends of the aisles in the grocery store like okay well here's here's barbecue here's the texas barbecue here's a korean barbecue oh this is like a little twist on the same main ingredients but with a little extra spice it's a completely different dish and you bring that home and you serve it to your family and yeah if they love it then you go back and buy more you buy more and that's the kind of the idea here that you know you can't just drop the technology and the data and uh, and expect people to suddenly change their behavior you have to go the extra mile and really reach out to the community show them precedents help them build use cases um to pay for the um the maturation and investment in the data ecosystem because as you're, you're right there's going to be a wide variety of technologies needed to manage all these different data sources. Obviously, there already are in most large enterprises. And depending on whether you're consumer really, you know, kind of focused or whether you're more you know, financial services or insurance or B2B or manufacturing related, you might invest differently in you know, different parts of your data infrastructure. You might have you know, more of your weight on transactional systems in one business model. You might have more of your weight on interaction systems on a different business model. You might have a lot of un- known contacts versus known 
contacts and accounts. And that's going to affect both the technology, but more so the amount of investment you need to make in the very different kinds of technologies that are tuned to support those workloads. So very long answer again <laughs> to your question, but I don't know that there's there are, there are simple answers to any of these questions. They're, they're big projects, and I've, I've, I've talked on record a number of times to with the idea that, you know, marketers in general, I think we've, we're sort of going through this uh, tipping point between uh, the previous decade of driving innovation and an investment at the application layer of the marketing stack. And now we're tipping into driving investment and innovation out of the data layer of the um, of the infrastructure. But that requires a little bit more work than just pure focus on on the data and just building the grocery store and just letting people go in and do the same thing they've always done. You got to go a little further. All this talk about food has made me hungry. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, it's a great analogy because everyone can relate to it. <laughs> everyone can relate it's, to it. It's phenomenal. I mean, I I could spend hours and hours talking to you, but in to be respectful of your time and my time and our our uh, listeners' time, uh, let's wrap this up with, I always like to say, what's your hashtag, right? And so, Jerry, what's your hashtag for this podcast? Yeah, hashtag for this podcast, I think it's just very simple. You know, personalize with care. You know, be careful how you personalize, but also emotionally, you know, put some caring into this. You're, 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 whatever you're doing, whatever you're putting out there in the world is going to be received by a human being. They're going to have a kind of objective, rational reaction to it. They're also going to have an emotional reaction to it as well. And it's not just the content that they're going to see. They're going to read between the lines and, you know, they're going to start connecting. They're going to start to have some uh, presumptions about all the dots of, that you connected about them and whether or not how comfortable, how comfortable they feel about the extent of which dots are on that chain and how you connected them with, with or without their permission. So personalize with care is really the motto going forward. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me. And folks, thank you for listening to another episode of Sunny Side Up. We'll be back again next week. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Asher. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And more importantly, share these insights with your peers.